0: Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Each week on the show, we cover topics relating to building and growing startups in a way that's organic and sustainable and that works around your life. We're ambitious founders, but we don't sacrifice our life in order to build our startups. These are not the typical Silicon Valley startups where fundraising can be a goal in itself and where people build slide decks instead of building businesses. In this week's episode, I have an in-depth conversation with Ruben Gomez, And we talk about the new app he's building, DocSketch, in the electronic signature space. But more importantly, we look back at the 10 plus years that he's been bootstrapping. And we look at lessons learned and how he's learned to make better decisions, how he's meticulous and disciplined and how that leads to him being able to make repeatable progress and being able to have repeatable successes. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 456. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing startups. Whether you've built your fifth startup or you're working on your first. I'm Rob, and with Ruben Gomez, we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. The first email I received from Ruben was in January of 2009. So it was more than 10 years ago. And he was asking about something I had written up a few essays about. It was about acquiring software products. And from there, he and I struck up a friendship and he you know, had been reading my stuff for, for a while and wound up being one of the first four or five members of the membership website that I launched called the Micropreneur Academy that was teaching software developers, really teaching engineers how to market. And this is back in the day, just as SaaS was starting to become a thing. And Ruben was an early success story and he hustled. And he was, as I said in the intro, he was meticulous and disciplined and just shipped stuff every week, even though he was working a full-time job and managing managers who manage developers, as he used to say. What I've always respected about Ruben is just his, his analytical nature, but he has the gut instincts of a founder. And he's someone who you know that no matter what the chips deal him, he is going to succeed at what he's doing and so today in the interview we talk about both his his first product which is called BidSketch and it started as proposal software made for designers and he later expanded it to you know just creating professional proposals as a horizontal play we talk about trying to upgrade that from Rails 2 to Rails 3 and all the technical Headache that went with that, and the six months of essentially wasted engineering time. And we talk about his his new app that he's running in tandem and building that in tandem with BidSketch. It's called DocSketch, and it's an electronic. Signature app, talk about his AppSumo deal and, you know, why he decided to do that and the, his whole thought process of whether to do that or not. We dig into free plans, marketing first before building, a whole bunch of other stuff. Ruben doesn't do a ton of interviews. He doesn't do conference talks, even though I ask him every year to, uh, to speak at MicroConf. And every time you hear him talk, you will hear someone who's been doing this a long time, someone who's had a substantial amount of success and someone who's really thought through these issues. So I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Ruben today about the ups and the downs and the sideways of being a bootstrapper for more than 10 years. And I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. So let's dive in. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today, Ruben.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: You and I talk every few weeks and have for several years. So it's kind of fun to get on the mic every once in a while. You have several popular Startups for the Rest of Us episodes Actually, you have the one about beating plateaus. There was one where you and I just talked about metrics. Remember that, where we're doing trial to paid and all that. So, yeah. if you go to, you know, to the listener, if you go to rest search for Ruben Gomez. He has he's been on the show several times. But today, I wanted to dig into stuff you've been working on for for quite a while, Ruben. You know, both in terms of of your new app DocSketch, but also the decision process of you've run a bootstrap SaaS app for 10 years which is very few people have done that most people sell or they shut down or they move on or they find a ceo to run it or whatever and you've you've been through a very long journey in a you know in a short amount of time 10 years running a SaaS app is like i don't know 50 years in in a lot of other businesses
1: yeah it's funny you say 10 years but it doesn't doesn't f- well in some ways it doesn't feel that way in other, in other ways it does
0: I know, because so much has changed. When you think back to like your very first homepage and what that looked like, or your early demo videos, or what pricing felt like back then, or you know, there, there's so many things have changed, and yet you have BidSketch, and folks want to check it out. It's BidSketch.com, and it's it's a successful SaaS app that has employed you and you know your your whole team. We have a team of four or five people.
1: Yes, sort of. I'm hiring more people right now, so. Uh, rebuilding in that process. We could talk about that a little bit later.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think the first thing I want to ask you about that that's interesting is when you first launched BidSketch, it was proposal software made for designers and you targeted the design space. It was a vertical proposal app and it caught on really well. And then a few years later, and I don't remember how long it was, you went horizontal and the headline today is create professional proposals in minutes. And you're going after, you know, anyone who would send a proposal, any type of freelancer contractor, agency or whatever. What led to that decision and, and what was your thinking in, you really did the land and expand, which is kind of a, a playbook in, you know, an MBA speak or whatever, but, but you came across that organically and made that decision to expand.
1: I'm trying to even think about why I chose designers to start with. I think it had to do with with the amount of keywords for people searching for proposals related to design, web design or just graphic design. So I think that sort of helped me make that decision. And later on, we were just getting we were just getting customers that weren't that. We were and we were getting people asking us, does it work for my business? And there was nothing in there that that would prevent them from using it or, you know successfully for the business so there were just a lot of different signs that made it clear that we should move beyond designers plus the market just for designers was too small it was a good maybe a good starting point still not sure about that we could have just started where we ended up later but we didn't you know i didn't know back then if that was a good idea
0: Yeah, I was going to ask that if if there was any regret or if you feel like it was any kind of mistake to to start small and then go horizontal or if you should have just started horizontal or do you think it really matters?
1: I'm not sure that at least for the app that I had and at the time there weren't any proposal apps. So we were creating that category, right? So I think it probably didn't matter as much for uh, our product at that time.
0: And since you built BidSketch back in 2008, 2009, it was written in like Rails 2, and then you upgraded to 3, or you built it in 3, if I recall. And you went through kind of a painful year or so of trying to rewrite it in Rails 4. If I recall, it was because you, you had a tough time finding Rails 3 developers, and maybe patches weren't coming out for it anymore. And this was just two, three years ago, you were doing this. It was a real struggle, I remember. Can you talk us through through that? Like, why did you make the decision? And what was your process there to, to try to get it rewritten?
1: So uh, we actually started in Rails 2. And it's still in Rails 2 now,
0: which is crazy. Oh, that's what I forget. I say 3 because that sounds old enough. But
1: well, <laughs> you're yeah, right. Three is, the thing, 3 is the thing we wanted. We were eventually trying to get to 4 at the time. So we were, we were like, OK, uh, we can't jump straight to 4. We need to go to three. From what I understand, going from three to four is, takes some work, but it's not the end of the world. Going from two to three is, if you have a really mature app with a lot of code that's been around for, for a while, that's that's a beast. And that's what we were trying to do.
0: And you had the bulk of your team working on that for, was it a year? Is, that, is my memory correct? It was
1: maybe like eight months or so. So it was a good, yeah, it was, it was a lot of developers uh, working on it on just that. And at the same time I was working on the design side. So just going back a little bit, the, the decision to uh, upgrade had to do with us hitting plateaus. And like you mentioned, <laughs> there's that episode that uh, we did about plateaus and stuff and we hit three or four plateaus at different stages of, of growth, and I don't remember you know exactly what they were, but we did things like change pricing, ten um, x our content strategy, just different things to break out of each plateau at, at each time. So I got pretty good at breaking out of plateaus. But now what I know or what I what I feel is that if you're hitting that many plateaus, fundamentally there's a problem there that needs to be fixed. So we we were sort of like hacking out of, you know, out of the plateaus for like a year or two of more growth. But yeah, so there, there was a bigger issue. So uh, part of it was just going back and trying to figure out, okay, what's what's going on here? And how can we just stop doing this and just fundamentally fix what's wrong? And we did a lot of sort of customer interviews, a lot of analysis of the data that we had. We did like over a hundred jobs to be done interviews and using the switch framework. Switch framework is has to do with when somebody switches away from a product to your product or when somebody switches away from your product to something else. So like during onboarding and during just people that canceled. And you you can imagine getting people on the phone to do 30 to 45 minute interviews. Once they've canceled, is isn't that easy. So we bribed them with Amazon gift cards, like a hundred bucks. In theory, you don't need that many, but we were interviewing a lot of different segments and trying to find patterns and stuff. So after all that, we came up with like, three things that we could do. One of them was kind of go up market enterprise, which the majority of the funded startups that were going into the proposal space were doing. They start off like we would and then just wasn't wasn't big enough and they would go up market. The other one was just better serve us a couple specific segments within our market, sort of like build out better team features, agency features, and sort of go deep deeper in that direction. And then the third was just sell more to our existing customers. They were using products that were kind of related. That's why we built out DocSketch later. So the first thing that I decided to do was basically build out version two of BitSketch and sort of go with option one. Better serve a segment of our market that would pay more money that would stick around and and all that stuff. But our existing product was lacking some features. And to sort of add these features and to kind of, Change how it did the main thing that it did, which is create proposals. We had to um, just use new new technology, and, and hiring developers that could work with that was really hard. Like at the time, also Rails two was really old, and everything was just hard because of that. We had a bunch of technical debt, and and if we were in a bunch of code, and if we were going to kind of rebuild core parts of the application. That was a big project and we just needed to add a whole bunch of unit tests and all this stuff. So we spent like six months working on um, going in that direction, adding unit tests. And about that time, I saw uh, a talk by, uh, I think it was DHH from uh, Basecamp. And he was talking about, I think this had already been out for a while, but I had just caught onto it, just started, just watched it. And he was talking about how they made a mistake by trying to do the same thing that we were doing. So it really got my interest. I watched the whole thing. And basically what he was was saying was that they had a very hard time. He spent, I don't know how long, six months, a year trying to make Basecamp into the next version of Basecamp. And he just talked about it in terms of like trying to make a chair into a desk or something like that. It was really hard. It just didn't work. And they abandoned it and started from scratch. I watched that and I I thought, hmm. I think we can do it, <laughs> of course. And uh, we kept going for a little bit longer, but I kept just thinking about that. And so I, I went back and I was, I was looking at like how much progress are we making? How long? I started doing some forecasting and estimating, like given our pace and that the entire team was working on this. And it would have just taken way too long. We made very little progress. So then I just decided to abandon that that effort.
0: How was that when you decided to abandon it? I mean, that must have been a really tough choice for you. What was your emotional state like once you made that decision or as you were making it?
1: It's always tough because you spend so much money with so many people working. It's tough on on several different levels. Like You don't want to fail at something, number one, right? And just be like, oh, this was a really big mistake. Hundreds of thousands of dollars, a couple hundred thousand dollars maybe in salaries or I don't know. You know, I didn't calculate it out still to this day. It's probably pretty expensive. Too painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of developers working on it for, you know, eight months or whatever it was exactly. So that's a ton of money to just say, nope, this didn't work out. Let's do something else. So it's tough from that perspective, but also for the team you have the team working on just this one thing and you really sell them on this is the direction this is what we need to do and then having to tell them like no you know this is this is not going to work we should do something else
0: that's got to be hard when you talked to the team i mean did you do it on a group call what was their reaction
1: yeah it was uh it was on a group call and i don't remember the specifics but i remember that they took it much better than than i thought they would I think they were kind of burnt out.
0: They were probably relieved. Yes. Yeah.
1: There was a little bit of relief,
0: basically. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Probably some relief for you two to make the decision as hard as it as hard as it is. Sunk co- you know, you you let go of the sunk cost, right? The sunk cost was all the time and the money and, and your ego of like, well, I made a made a bad call here.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So up to that, you know, before I actually had that call, it was, you know, it was tough and just thinking about it a lot. And then after after the call, it was just relief like, okay, you know, once you make the decision and once once you know what you're starting over, it's different.
0: Yeah, you kind of wipe your hands together and you say, what's next? You know, you turn your sights. That brings a the question then, now you're building DocSketch. Was it an immediate realization of, I want to build an electronic signature app or was it we're going to build like, you know how they do Basecamp 1.0, 2.0, 3.0? They're all project management. They just approach them differently. I mean, did you think of doing BidSketch 2.0 that, would essentially be proposal software as well and kind of compete with yourself i guess in in the sense that Basecamp did
1: so yeah that was the that that was the next thing right it's like okay maybe we should just build this from scratch and we actually started doing that and spent about six months doing that and realizing like you know we had to make it backwards compatible and all this stuff we have just years of workarounds and code and all this stuff this is this is crazy. This is this is a lot of stuff.
0: So it's a new code base, but what was the backwards compatibility? Was it like the data model or something? Or to import in one direction, you needed to adhere to certain
1: standards? We have a feature that allows people to create proposals from scratch using HTML and CSS. So there was a lot of that, just making that old templating system work with whatever we were building. Trying to make everything just fit, right? Right. There were just many, many examples of this. So this one was was a little bit shorter. It was like maybe four to six months to where it just felt like this is going to take years. I think we should go with option three, uh, which was uh, build out something, basically sell more to our existing customers and better serve them. So this was the creation of the electronic signature tool, sort of a new app, DocSketch. And it felt like this one's way easier. This one's much smaller. doesn't have that many features. We're not doing a bunch of this, like, um, what you see is what you get, the um, sort of, like, design and development and all that stuff. It's you're uploading files, you're overlaying fields, sending them out, getting documents signed. Let's go in this direction. So that's, we stopped. Again, there were a couple other reasons, too. Our progress was super slow, with, uh, with the new rebuild of Bitsketch because the team had a Rails background, but not a React background. So we decided to build this uh, version 2 in React, and we started to do that, but they were so inexperienced that as they were learning more, they, they were like, oh, let's rewrite this or restart this. Oh, this is the wrong way to do that, which was, that was not good. That just slowed everything down
0: even, even more and was was the solution to that, I mean, do you wish you hadn't built in React? Or did you need, if you're going to do it, you kind of need developers who who are versed in it?
1: Yeah, so going back to that point, the better decision uh, on my end would have been, we either build it with what we know and what we're good at, which is Rails, or we need a new team that um, is very experienced in React and what we, what, the direction that we're going in.
0: And that that would be a hard call to make. That'd be a really hard call to make, right? To like, if to fire your most of your development team, or I guess you'd keep someone around to maintain PID sketch, but it would have been that would have been a tough call.
1: Yeah, um, it would have, but we wasted a lot of money because we, you know, I didn't make that call back at that point. So even, even when we started with DocSketch, it was also kind of like, okay, let's continue. Let's do this in React. We know way more. We, we have like, you know, six months of experience, which is not a lot, right? Like having a, a background in managing web development department and a lot of developers, like this is all stuff that I've come across and kind of have known. And for some reason, I just made decisions that now thinking about it don't really make a lot of sense. So I've gone back and sort of really thought about that a lot and uh, worked on just improving both my decision-making and just my um, ability to change and switch earlier once I I recognize that we're going in the wrong direction.
0: Here's the thing that I have respected about this journey that you've taken is that you chewed through, let's say, 14 months, 16, 18 months, whatever, of Two false starts, right? It was it was to upgrade the app and then to rewrite it from scratch. It was super brutal, painful, irritating. But you did it anyway. And during that time, I remember asking you, are you impatient? Do you feel stressed? And you kept saying, No, I'm not stressed. I just want it to move faster but it didn't seem to like bother you the way it would bother me. Like I would have been super stressed and, and like anxious. And I don't know, there, there's just so much, I have such a tough time standing still like that. And you, you've said you do too, you know, that, that you have a tough time standing still, but, but what does that feel like to you? And how did you deal with, because most of us in our career, in our, in our, you know, in our product ownership career, will never stand still for 18 months or however long you did. It's a real anomaly. Like how did you manage your own emotion around that?
1: I think part of it has to do with me just being really optimistic about my ability to do things successfully, number one. And number two, kind of having spent so much time doing things like SEO to where you have to um, make these bets. It's not like ads. You can run ads immediately as soon as you put money into it. You can you know that it's working or it's not. With uh, with SEO, you're going months without any sign that it's working a lot of times. And then eventually it starts working, and I've done that so many times, to where I'm um, I'm sort of used to grinding for long periods of time. And I was really thinking about this the other day, which I think this is a probably a bad thing. To where, having grown up, just feeling uncomfortable for for a, a lot of my childhood because you know being in just bad situations, bad neighborhoods, bad everything, and and sort of just having this constant. I don't know this feeling like I'm I'm working towards something and it's really right now, but I know I'm going to eventually get out of it. Sort of, I think makes it so that I can deal with that a little bit better nowadays. But maybe it's a bad thing. So now I'm focusing on setting up sort of these trip wires beforehand before a big effort. I set sort of like an expectation or a deadline or something that lets me know, okay, if we're not here at this stage, then either, you know, I'm going to take a really close look at stopping or changing what we're doing or something, right? Instead of sort of like enduring and grinding. So like you've said many times that I, that you feel like I have a lot of patience and it's fun. A lot of people say, say that about me, but I, I don't feel that. I feel very impatient a lot of times and i heard some i don't remember where i heard this but that when there's this this mismatch of like what you feel about yourself and what other people think about you that it has to do with the mismatch between your internal dialogue which makes a lot of sense and your actions so internally i may be saying like oh, we need to move faster this this sucks but externally i'm i'm projecting maybe something else and just continuing
0: right showing up every day Shipping, getting it done. Yep. Right, getting it done, right.
1: There are a lot of things that just take a lot of time. I'm good with um, making progress when it comes to things like that.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And if folks wanna hear more about your background, you mentioned it, it earlier, but one of the more popular yeah, there's kind of a cluster of episodes that were really popular of the Zen Founder podcast, where Sherry interviewed several founders about their origin story, and yours is episode 25. And you go through a pretty in-depth story of, of your upbringing, which was, I think, shocking to a lot of people. And it's just a super interesting tale to hear how you grew up and how you came to start your own company, frankly. So one thing, I want to get into Sketch, but I think I have one more question before we do that. And it's, did it ever cross your mind to sell BidSketch and just start fresh with a new app? Or was the pull to sell, you know, your plan C was to sell more things to the BidSketch audience. Was that too compelling to make you consider selling it?
1: I don't think I ever seriously thought about selling BidSketch because even if you think about how I started BidSketch, I started BidSketch when I had a full-time job. I just liked the approach a lot better of not you know starting from scratch like some people quit their jobs and then they do their new things. I think I would be stressed if I sold it and I had a bunch of money in the bank but that money was going down and nothing was coming in. For me that's different. I'm not sure why.
0: I've been there and I did the same thing, right? I had hit tail and I didn't sell it and then start drip because I didn't want that bank account going down every month. It was try to run it on the side and have it throw off cash and stay with the asset, because then you can kind of have your foot on two islands. You don't have to swim to the other one, and, you know, you can do it. So, yeah, I I think that makes sense. So I'm fascinated by, you know, I've been impressed with how you've approached the process of, of building DocSketch, not from the technical point of view, but just the thought process that you went through, and you started with, like, the marketing And this is in this day and age, obviously you want, you know, distribution first and you want a channel or whatever, but you were way, way, way ahead of it. I mean, before you had mock-ups, before you guys had really started digging into the code, you had this whole plan of how you were going to build up this momentum and this marketing engine. Can you talk about like how you were thinking that through? And I'm specifically thinking, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, obviously about the organic, you know, you're really good at SEO, but also there was this whole thing about free plan, and getting people to use something like any type of tool first and then turning that later into a doc sketch customer. I really think that that'll be interesting for folks to hear about.
1: Yeah. So, building on an electronic signature tool was basically starting from scratch. So, before building it out, I just spent some time figuring out how am I going to get customers, right? Because I basically thought, I'm not sure how much I'm going to be able to leverage the. Sketch audience. And I don't want it to completely depend on that either. This is a much bigger market, much bigger market, like DocuSign is the biggest uh, company in the market. And they're, I don't know, $600 million a year, maybe more. There are way more electronic signature apps in in that category. So there are a lot of things that appealed to me. And then premium is being done by a couple of them. So I also kind of wanted to play around with freemium and and some of that viral traffic stuff. So I think the first thing that I did was just look at, okay, if we're starting from scratch, do some analysis on the uh, organic traffic side, what are people searching for? What's there? Like, okay, there's a lot of traffic that we can get, a lot more than in the proposal uh, category. Then looked at what are the competitors doing? Not just looked at where are they getting traffic, where is it coming from, but also I also did interviews with a bunch of DocuSign and HelloSign customers, and this was like targeting them with Twitter ads, sending them to a survey, uh, and if they were a recent paying customer, bribing them with, uh, with an Amazon uh, gift card. Then also going to review sites and just analyzing everything that people were Liked and didn't like about each of the uh, competitors, creating a document with all that information, trying to figure out, like, where are the gaps and what type of product would we need to build to sort of position ourselves favorably in this market? And how can we do it in a way to where some of the traffic that opportunities that I see, we can flow into a product? That was sort of like at a high level, the, the whole process.
0: Yeah. And a couple things that you touched on there. One, I find it fascinating is that you're, you're going all in on, on a free plan, especially given that one of the most popular essays on my website from August, 2010, was a guest post from you called why free plans don't work. And, you know, I I just think it's hilarious that nine years later, in essence, um, you are actually going all in on a free plan. You want to talk, talk to dad and how, how your thinking's changed.
1: So back then when I did, I did freemium with BidSketch for about a month. It was a very short amount of time. And with freemium, that's just too short to know whether it's working, number one. So it wasn't until later that I I realized a bunch of these things. Then I didn't didn't know how freemium worked and what types of products would be best for freemium products. So for freemium approach... The proposal market, I think, so looking back, some of the reasons why I think it didn't work for BidSketch and it you know, for many of the other proposal apps that have tried it, it hasn't worked still to this day, is because the the market's just not that big. The market's okay, but it's not that big. Uh, the time to value is too long. People have to create documents, set them up and uh, design them and copy in content. And that just takes way too long. Ideally, you would, you would have a much shorter time to value. Like with DocSketch people, you upload their documents and add some fields, send them off, and that's it. You're done. Big difference. The market's really big with DocSketch. It's perfect for that. Uh, you did have a bit of some of the viral stuff going on with proposals, but given that the market's is so small and that you'd need a lot more volume to make that work, it didn't make sense. But looking at DocSketch, it just had like the electronic signature space just has a lot of things that that'll help a freemium approach work. In the early days, really, you will make more money not doing freemium. That's another thing about freemium. It's, it's oftentimes a longer term bet and you have to kind of like a flywheel just like content marketing and a lot of things build that up.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it's an advanced distribution tool right it's not a pricing strategy it's a marketing strategy as people say and it's something that in your early days when you're trying to bootstrap and get to eight grand ten grand a month so you can quit your job i do think freemium is detrimental it's a longer term play right it's a long-term play and you have the luxury now with having this other app that is funding you and your whole team that you have long-term you know horizon to play with you have a long-term horizon to play with.
1: That makes a big difference. The situation I was in was uh, is totally different. At the time, I needed revenue as fast as possible. And that was the strategy that I ended up going with, free trials or getting people to pay up front first. was really good. worked well for that. Not so well for, you know, being in that situation, it's not that good for trying out freemium.
0: Yeah, and, and so you spent quite a bit of time getting pages out there with, you know, organic traffic to it. And the product is quasi launched now, I would say. I feel like you're soft launched, like you're not doing heavy marketing.
1: Yeah, we, we haven't officially like it's it's open now. So this was the deal we did about a couple of months back. We did an AppSumo deal. So they required I wanted to leave it in early access when we did the deal. But they required that we open it up and let people sign up and pay. Uh, before we did the apps, which makes sense. They don't want to be selling something in, that's in early access. So we did the deal. lasted a long time. It was very different from when I've done it in the past. It was like three weeks. Then I sort of put it back into early access up until a couple of weeks ago to where I opened it back up uh, because I felt like we have enough features at this point and we're getting a lot more traffic and it's just ridiculous to be in early access with the amount of tra- traffic that we're getting uh, and not trying to take advantage of some of that. So at, at this point, it's, as of, I think, yeah, last month, it's getting more traffic than BidSketch. In a few more months, like at the current pace, it'll double what we're getting there. So the strategy is different. It's,
0: a, it's such a larger market, right? That, I mean, that's how I view it. It's it's it's
1: a much bigger market. There, are, There's just a lot more opportunity there. And I just know more now than I did back then. So I, I'm having an easier time
0: executing on that part. Stair step approach, small SaaS to a big one. I like it. Talk about the AppSumo deal. I think I actually get asked relatively frequently, you know, from. Folks who run a SaaS app and are considering an absolute deal but don't know how to how to think about it and don't know if they should do it or not, the revenue share is not huge. So I, I believe it's, my memory is it's 70-30 or 80-20, where you as the founder get twenty yeah 30%. You get the, the smaller of the two. So it's really quite a uh, quite a cut that they take. How did you think through that? Because it, it sounds like, from what you've told me, it was the right choice for you. Why was that?
1: Yeah, feel like it was a really good choice for me, given, you know, given my context of just like doing freemium right now and still kind of being like from a positioning standpoint, we're not focusing on any one segment yet, even for marketing, leaving it kind of open, trying to learn and see where are the most valuable customers so that we can focus on that. So the more volume we get, you know, the more uh, different types of companies we can get using the products the more learning we can do and the better. Then we'll just figure out who the best types of customers we should go after are and maybe change positioning or maybe just put our marketing efforts in, in there. So AppSumo, I just saw it like as a way to, to get a lot of different companies using the product. And a lot of them that were using, that were using existing products like DocuSign uh, and getting a lot of feedback from them. And there's a tricky part To it when it comes to getting customers from these deal sites, because a lot of the feedback that you get is just not good. So you have to be very selective as far as who you're listening to. And so this is the framework that I used for this was anybody who who's using, seriously using another product and is paying a decent amount of money for the other product. So like they have a a team of 10 people and they're paying, you know, a hundred or a couple hundred dollars a month to use an existing product. Uh, And they're very motivated to switch. Those are people that I'm going to listen to a lot more. So uh, we found out that there were some really very valuable segments that we hadn't encountered yet through the deal. So that was was helpful. We got some very good feedback. And since they were highly motivated to switch, because they got such a good deal, and they were spending a lot of money with with the existing tools, they were willing to tell us what's really important to them before they switch. Like, okay, we want this, this and that, but if we have to have like this one thing is the thing that we really need to switch. Uh, So that helped.
0: Super important to have that. Those learnings are valuable and they're hard to get in the early days of a product.
1: They They are very, very hard to get. Also, I almost think of them as freemium users because just looking at the stats for the amount of documents that they're sending. They're sending a lot of documents a month because people who get documents uh, see that they're sent through DocSketch and you know there's some of that viral stuff going on. That helps us. That helps us on, with word of mouth. That, that helps us in a lot of different ways. So I think it doesn't work too well with companies that have really high support per customer. So that was another thing with DocSketch. It's just a low support app we can get a bunch of people in here and that's another reason why we could do freemium and it's not that big of a deal. But I know I know a lot of other SaaS founders that they're like in, you know, in the hundreds of customers and they need a full team of uh, support people. So, between DocSketch and BitSketch, we're, you know, we're serving like thousands each and one person's fine, one support person, not a problem for everybody.
0: Yeah, I'm envious of that. Certainly with Drip, we were one of those where we needed a lot of support people because it's a big, complicated product, you know, and it's, it can do a lot, but as a result, people have a lot of questions.
1: Right. And Drip would, is a really good example. That would be, I'm not sure I would do an absolute deal for that. Uh, I'd, I would have to design it super carefully, but I probably wouldn't do it because you have expenses of how much it, you know, it costs each email to get sent out. There's, it's just not the right type of product for that.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. Just like with freemium, AppSumo is something that can work for you, but you you need to know the criteria, you know, and you need to be smarter about making the decision. It's not an always yes or an always no. And I mean, it sounds like you got a lot of learnings from it. You got good feedback. You got certainly there's some SEO help there because you're getting a link to from from some places.
1: Yeah, the you get branded searches they shoot up a lot, so that and that helps with uh, on the SEO front.
0: And and some cash out of it, right? I mean, typically, if you have a successful AppSumo deal, you do you can make tens of uh, low tens of thousands of dollars that comes to you, and that is a that can be a game changer if you you know it allows you to hire that next developer or put more money into you know some type of spend.
1: Yeah, so I think the average they said was somewhere like 20, 2,500 buys. So given the average like payments and all that stuff that they do, that's that's somewhere like above thirty thousand, thirty-five thousand, like somewhere in there.
0: Dollars for the company that's running the deal.
1: Yeah, yeah. After Absimo gets their cut and all that stuff, so that helps. You can't count on that; <laughs> it's just a one-time thing. So you have to, have, like in my mind, you have to have. There has to be a lot of other benefits besides the the cash.
0: That's right. So to kind of start closing us out here, I think someone might be <laughs> listening to this thinking wow, you're nuts to go after such a competitive space, right? It's huge in terms of a lot of customer, potential customers, but there are, I can throw a rock and hit an electronic signature app. And so one of the advantages that you have is you're good at organic. And frankly, you're just good at marketing. You're good at copywriting. You're good at testing and and looking at all the things. So let's assume you can outmarket some of them. Or all of them to a certain extent in different areas. You know, you you, you know you can get channel and get people in, but there's this other thing that you've really looked at pretty pretty carefully, and I feel like you've been very deliberate about it. And it's figuring out a point or two of differentiation, and it's something I find a lot of founders don't think about enough. They either want to build something completely novel in a completely new category, which is very, very hard, or they will exactly replicate another tool. And I find that both of those are very hard ways to go. And if I were a beginner, for SaaS app, I would try to build a tool and figure out one or two key points of differentiation. You know, build an existing kind of, in in an existing category, in a sense, like, like email marketing software or electronic signature, which is what you've done. How did you think through that differentiation, and really, I guess, what are your one or two points that where you think you're you're really differentiated from HelloSign, DocuSign, and all the other myriad of of tools?
1: This evolved over over time. Really, we had a couple of pretty good ideas and things that some people were excited about, but then either you know the technical side just wasn't going to work out, and it wasn't going to be as smooth as we thought it was going to be. So I had to I had to look at building out features that would help us stand out and change that about 3 times because for different reasons but it, we didn't go too far into it it was just like okay i think i found something let me you know run some screenshots get some feedback or things like that and then see if this is something we want to move forward to and then after after just getting some sort of feedback doing a little bit of testing realizing that mm, this is not probably not the way to go like one of one of the ideas had to do with giving better guidance to people who were filling out the documents on the other side. And it was kind of fresh and new and people got excited about it. So everything looked good about that. But then when it came down to, but you have to do some, the sender would have to do a little bit of extra work. When it came down to that, nobody wanted to do a little bit of extra work. So the thing was just not going to work that type of positioning. So really, it just came from, like I said, looking at all the products that are out there or the, the ones that people most know about and then finding out uh, what don't people like about these products. And some of that research took place in you know G2 Crowd and all the other like review sites that are out there where you can find just tons and tons of reviews. And this is going through hundreds of reviews, putting them all in a spreadsheet, putting categorizing them, and sort of like figuring out what the patterns are there and then doing beyond that interviews with people that are paying for these products and like i said there're a lot of different ways of doing that we leveraged the BidSketch email list a little bit for that but then we also just did ads cold to people that we didn't know and you know bribed them with with some amazon gift cards and all that stuff and just finding out where the opportunities were. So we found a few areas and just sort of like the next step was, okay, what could a few solutions that are positioned a little bit differently, what could they look like? So nowadays, our positioning is more focused and we're not completely there, but we we continue to move in that direction. A lot of attention is paid on the uploading and setting up document side for these electronic signatures tools. So our focus... And where we continue to to just like add features and make it better is on the recipient side, on the people that are receiving the documents, making sure that they are able to fill them out faster and making sure that they have a better experience than what's out there.
0: Yeah, your headline is sales document signing that cuts turnaround time in half.
1: Right. So from a positioning st- standpoint, uh, the benefit going back to the user is that because we're focusing more on the recipient side, they're going to get their documents back faster.
0: And that's good, man. When people are zigging, everyone's zigging and you're going to zag, right? And that is such a nice differentiator where if it's not just a single feature, we have this one feature that's different. It's like, no, our whole focus is this other thing. And as long as that resonates with enough people, you can chew, you'll own that positioning and you chew away at that corner of the market.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, we may learn that there's something that's more valuable for us to focus on and build out and, and position ourselves in a different way. And if we learn that, we'll we'll change again. Um, I think you did a really good job of this with Drip. I remember when uh, you started off with the little widgets and you changed from that to just marketing automation, which was way more valuable. This is a, a mistake I see a lot of people make is that don't get stuck on, on their initial thing. Like if they figure like we're loose right now, we're kind of positioned that way, but we're loosely positioned that way. So we're open to just seeing what's more valuable. And I feel like a lot of people are just sort of, they're not, they stop listening. They start, they just feel like, okay, this is what we are. This is what we do. And that's it. If it doesn't work, uh, what's wrong. And, and they don't sort of revisit some of that fundamental stuff, some of the core stuff.
0: Yeah, and something I've I've really liked and been impressed with, you know, as I watched your, your entrepreneurial journey over the past 10 or 11 years is you're super meticulous and you're disciplined. And that's what this whole story, as we talk through it with, with the transition to DocSketch, you made hard decisions, but you did them with a bunch of research and you were meticulous in figuring out that it was the right choice. And then when it was the right choice, you had the discipline to make the hard call. And this is the same thing, this positioning. It's like you have been meticulous about figuring out, I think this is the right way. You're going to be disciplined to stick with it until you get another answer. And when you make that choice to change it, it will be the right call, you know, at least given the information you have. And what that all leads to is when I, there are certain founders that I've watched become successful that I question if they could do it again, you know. That that maybe they got a little lucky with something. You're not one of them. You're going to do it twice, and you could do it five times if you wanted. You know, you look at a David Cancel, a Jason Cohen, a Heaton Shaw, a Darmesh. You know, we could list the people who have done it over and over and over again. And there's something about them, you know. And maybe maybe they're not specifically meticulous and disciplined. That happens to be your trait. But those are the traits that I think mean that you could do this at will you just figure out the space you would experiment you put in the time you don't look for you know trails where there aren't any and you use the data to make the best decision you can and then and then you push forward and it means it's just repeatable and you could do it over and over and over and that's what i hope folks listening to this interview take away
1: thanks that's a, that's a big compliment i i do respect people a lot that are able to do it multiple times that's one of my goals was just to basically learn how to do that for myself. I think it's important or maybe not. Maybe if you get lucky and it's, uh, it's a really big hit, who cares, right? You can make a lot of money and sell it. It's not that big of a deal.
0: Yeah. And funny when I say getting lucky, I don't, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, honestly. I just know that there, you know, there are folks where it's like, yeah, I got really early to a space and, and then they kind of struggle after that or whatever. So any case, man. I think we're at about time. folks want to keep up with you, aside from hitting DocSketch.com, which is D-O-C and then the word Sketch.com to check out uh, what you're up to today, where can they keep up with you online?
1: Probably uh, Twitter. I know you love Twitter.
0: Yeah, it's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's uh, works on Twitter, uh, just Ruben Gomez. Yeah, that's probably the other place to keep up with me.
0: Sounds great, man. Thanks again for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for the invite.
0: It's always a pleasure to talk with Ruben. He's been on the show a few times. If you Google his name at our website, you'll find those episodes. If you have any feedback for me, I'd appreciate if you leave a comment, or send an email to questions at Startups for the Rest of Us, or tweet it out, because I'm investing more time into the podcast at this point, and I'm being very deliberate about trying to change things up a bit while Mike is on hiatus. And I'm just curious to know if, it, if it's working. You know, if it's, if it's impacting you, if it matters, if it makes a difference, because obviously we've, we've had a format for 449-ish episodes, and that is something that, that we can go back to really easily, and it takes a lot less time. But I'm curious if, if there is more value in, in the new approach that I've been taking with it. And if you have a question for the show, call our voicemail number at 888-801-9690 or email us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.